Welcome to Pixel Chasing, the podcast where we talk to fascinating people about the most exciting and disruptive trends affecting our world today. With a focus on innovation, science and technology, we engage with the trailblazers and influencers who are taking an active role in shaping our future and signposting the current winds of change. So whether you're walking the dog, looking for some background content for your workout, or are simply looking to learn from experts in their fields, there'll be something for you on Pixel Chasing. Welcome to Pixel Chasing. I'm your host, Michael Marciano, and today we have none other than the Rembrandt of real estate, the Picasso of PropTech, the Blake of the built environment, Anthony Slumbers. For those of you without an appreciation of Anthony and his earlier careers, that intro would have made much sense, but hopefully his own bio will. Anthony is a globally recognized speaker, advisor and writer from PropTech and Space as a Service. A serial entrepreneur, he has founded and exited several PropTech software companies and now consults real estate boards on their transformation, technology and innovation strategies. He writes an influential blog at anthonyslumbers.com and is a prolific tweeter at anthonyslumbers. In 2020, he co-founded the Real, the Real Innovation Academy, an online real estate training company. With regard to today's podcast, as soon as the Zoom link connected Anthony and I, I was blown away by his fantastic linen purple shirt. And that amazement started us down a conversational path which led uh, to all sorts of places, uh, culminating in his uh, backpacking around America in his youth. Now, I've saved you all much of that, uh, albeit exciting, uh, but maybe not relevant musings that we had. And I'll be dropping you off at a point in the conversation where we began to get more focused. So, as always, I hope you enjoy uh, and have fun. This is kind of a nice segue into this idea of like, what do you think the implications are? Because obviously, if you look historically over real estate being a location-based industry and having key uh, buildings around certain uh routes and paths that are you know obviously drivers have a maximum number of hours they can drive for therefore there is, is value in the locations of buildings for people to sleep and rest and pick up what happens to real estate when ultimately we have vehicles driving themselves and ultimately you know what happens to those uh, the golden triangle you know these ideas of highly valuable assets over certain routes that are reflective of the old way of driving when suddenly we're going to have drone deliveries autonomous vehicles does that have a massive knock-on effect on on the value of real estate? I, th- I think it. I think it has to, and to, to an extent, it's already happening, isn't it? Because it's not so much um, autonomous vehicles, but it's it's la- last mile delivery and rapid delivery that everyone is wanting now. So slightly the nature of the nature of the portfolio of industrial spaces you need it, is is slightly different. Um, you know, it has to get much more dynamic and much closer, closer to the um, closer to the customer, which is which is a bit like the um, you know these uh, all these uh, on-demand grocery companies that are popping up now, mm. um, which I, I, I still think is slightly like Uber. You know, it's a is a VC gift to the customer. It's basically just subsidizing everything at the moment but the, the idea there 
is that they would understand enough about the demand within that area that they only ever stock those thirty-nine items, and they're and they're always there. And I and I can see that if you've got enough, um, if you've got if you've got enough data, and that's pretty much how Amazon works, isn't it? You know, it knows where 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 people are and what they're what they're likely to buy. Um, and but, you know, you know, the, the week it is, I mean, their holidays coming up, and their yeah, their uh, you know, the, events coming weather, up. No. Is but it, I think that gets really exciting. Like... It's a, a hyper, you know, I've always had this, this idea, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have a shop that was, you know, just really seasonal? I say really cool. The idea that a shop that basically it was always varying what what, what it was selling based upon the the, the the events around it. And we're seeing it. But it's, they... but it's a supermarket. Supermarkets have actually done it for years. But you know, have, they, they... have had, had bigger footprints, haven't they? So I guess the idea is that they've been far, far bigger to cover it. They give you everything yeah. uh, without being selective. Whereas you, we just had one open up near where I live. There's, mm. there's a, a zap opening up, and it's not a big unit. It used to be, it used to be a uh, a tops tiles, and now it's yeah. a zap one. And it, I had a peek in it the other day, and like it's not big. So they're clearly being. As, I'm not familiar with all the processing, but uh, just so data driven because that, yeah. I, I had a peek in, and it was the most random selection of things they had inside. But clearly, yeah. they know that people of this area, this demographic, this age location, this is the stuff that they want quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's very, it's very interesting. How I'm, I'm slightly ambivalent about the whole thing, actually, because I think. Yeah, it's quite cool, but for God's sake, how lazy are we all getting? You know, do we really need someone to come and deliver us a bloody toothpaste? Do you think? I don't know. Is that is that is that just ridiculous or or okay? But I can, but I can't see how the numbers work though. But the, that's the uh, thing. As you sort of alluded to, the numbers are always secondary at this stage. You know, it's a land grab. Who can get the most data? Get most, and let's work, let's work out profitability in the future when we IPO. Like that, that's that seems to always yeah. be the way they operate. But, but I, but I wonder. Know, Uber, Uber's oh. done that for well ten years now, and it's still nowhere near making a profit. And we'll never make a profit. Uber's never going to make a profit. <laughs> but that hasn't that hasn't stopped big. But it's, but it's made so much money. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't oh, stop. You know, I reckon if we can. I'm sure the things we we can reflect on that feel superfluous to our needs now to people who were like 50 years ago. Uh, and so I wonder, we will look back and say, I can't believe you ever. I guess the question really is: is to what extent do we see our time as commodities? And if it is something which is which, which is very uh, monetizable, so my my half an hour journey to the to the shops is actually worth X, Y, and Z. And someone like yourself now, who does use their time a lot to deliver knowledge mm. courses you can put a number on that and say actually now you yeah. may not put a number you may say actually i enjoy going i reckon you're, you're pretty a waitrose man so i enjoy shopping at waitrose so i'm gonna go <laughs> funnily, and walk. funnily enough <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna pop in the airpods and i'm gonna go listen to some classical music and that's my fine that's that is a purpose but if it's purely to get food to bring home uh you've got to weigh that up versus right i can deliver a course online and that's and deliver this revenue yeah that, 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 that is true but you know what it really is? It, it's actually a return of domestic service. So if I were if I was if I was a if I was upper class in the nineteenth century, this is exactly what I have. Someone delivers it to me. Mm. Go and get me this. Go and get me that. It's actually the, the it's actually the return of domestic service. But de democratizing it for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Which is fine, so long as. So long as you disregard the, the 
the person who's doing it is basically getting screwed. <laughs> Agreed. I was speaking to someone some recently who's saying that delivery drivers, they can make a fortune. You know, I mean, it, it, obviously they've got no security and we've seen it with, with, with although some, some of the laws, some of the recent uh, cases have uh, are forcing these large, large organizations to recognize these zero hour workers as full-time employees. Mm. But what's been interesting is some of these people who historically were doing jobs like kitchen porters where they were working terrible but, hours yeah. and all of a sudden now they've got flexibility. Now, again, I, I'm not advocating that. I think it's, it's, it's a fantastic uh, full, a full experience, but... When I was speaking to some people in, in, recently in the restaurant business, they were saying that the reason we now can't get porters or chefs is because yeah. these are people it's who historically, yeah, they were like, look, they, they, they worked awful yeah. hours. They worked in the back of a yeah, kitchen yeah. on yeah. their feet. It's, now they're just driving and they're making yeah. more money. Yeah, it, it, it is, of course, a, re a relative thing. It's a sh you know, shitty job, but there's, but there's shitter, shitter jobs. <laughs> yeah, sh sh shitty um, jobs, yeah. But I don't think, but I think, I'm not sure it's actually going to end up being good for restaurants either because they're taking 30%. They're taking for 30% and I don't know, maybe we'll just give up on restaurants because restaurants won't be able to provide a full service whilst they keep giving away 30%. But I don't know, once once everyone... I don't, I don't know. I, you see, I live too far away to order takeaways all the time. I can order a Domino's. But there's not really anything else I can order because I'm just I'm a, like a mile and a half from the centre of Guildford. I mean, if I was half a mile that way, I could have delivery, deliver anything, and maybe I maybe I'd have think about it differently then. Um, but but otherwise, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just find them I find them funny industries because. This has been going for years now, and I know the whole game was, yes, land grab, once you own everything, then you can make a killing. But it's not looking like that's going to happen. I mean, Deliveroo had the best business ever during the lockdown. And still didn't make money. Also, didn't, make, didn't, didn't turn a profit, yeah. And then didn't, didn't turn a profit. And you but, think, is, 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 this, is this something... Is there a a business model here that in reality just isn't going to work and but, but it has consequences in the meantime because you know other other industries don't happen other people don't make money because this lot's sucking up sucking up everything i don't it's, know it's tricky because also the more they take it comes out the pocket of the restaurants who really work on very very thin margins so that they are yeah. the more they make often it's at the detriment to those those restaurants and you know those restaurants are the challenge is you're always fully staffed, fully stocked, and you have a bad day. Your, your outlay is still the same, and when you finally have a good day, thirty percent is going towards you know delivery. Mm. Now the flip side is one would argue that the platform gives greater visibility to your product, uh, and therefore uh, you get more customers. But for those who don't get the benefit, they can they cannibalize the revenue because they go they, they, the customers who would have come in or who would have picked up directly are now going with them are now going by delivery. And I wonder mm. if this is a nice segue to say that actually there's a bit of uh, parallels with the office. Which so a restaurant, great restaurants will survive where there's an experience. So I will go out and go to a restaurant where it's it's, it's an event, it's an occasion. I'm, I want to celebrate. I want to go for a purpose. Now it may be the case that everything else that's purely functional, a pizza, I'll get delivered home. 
but I will get exactly. dressed up and I'll go out for an event and go to a great restaurant. So again, will they survive? The ones who met when you walk Absolutely. in, you think, this, this is a treat. Yeah. And I think you know, your your views as anyone who knows you are not uh, are not subtle on these things uh, with regards <laughs> to, to to the office. And there's one thing uh, that I think aligns quite nice, which is we can't just rest on laurels. We have to give people, and you are, as you know, one of the earlier uh, proponents of, of looking at uh, tenants as uh, as customers as people that we need to service and serve. And I think that in general can be seen across the board. You know, the, the it's all about the value we give people. People will go places where there's great value. I'll travel quite far sometimes to get a really good experience. And I think people need to invest in, in, in that side of things. So uh, it's probably worth, I guess, even touching upon that. But I guess even, even before that, because I mentioned that obviously you're fairly, fairly vocal on these things. Uh, to what extent have you found that your <laughs> your voice is able to be promoted far and wide these days with regards to your platforms that you have to do so because not a day goes by where I'm not bombarded by your voice. Because I, I hear your voice <laughs> when, when, when I read, when I read your, your, your notes on LinkedIn or on Twitter, I, I, I do, I do attribute your voice to it. Um, you know, to, to, to what extent does that allow you to, 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 to further uh, promote your views and, and, and as an influencer help sort of to create those views and, and link to that, like, what were you doing before Twitter? Like before you had uh, the, the, because obviously you've been in the game for decades, you know, mm. how are you, you know, it's like this whole chicken and egg, you know, to become an influencer, you need followers to have followers to become an influencer. How did you go about building uh, that following with the influence? Because don't forget, because if you're somebody just, 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 just sprouting nonsense, you, you get, you get an attraction. So clearly at some point, what you were saying was resonating. So can you just talk about how that happened? Be- before, before Twitter, I, I pretty much actually didn't have any voice because I've, I've never particularly liked classic networking. And I've certainly never liked the classic real estate networking of 500 blokes in blue suits all alone in, in one room. You know, never really gone, gone for that. Um, so I, th- I think it just, it, it just wasn't, wasn't like that. I mean, the, be- the, the beauty of Twitter um, is that if you if you take if you if you take take it seriously over time, you can build you can build up the most fantastic list of people to follow. And my my Twitter stream now is just the world's most for me the world's most interesting thing because I've pruned it and curated it if you like for for so long. I've now got thousands of incredibly interesting people all over the place, and it acts sort of like a filter filter to the internet for for me. Um, but yes, what what it, what it does what it does do, do though, which I think is is so good, is it allows you it allows you to build a relationship with someone in in such a way that when you do actually meet, you actually tend to know the person person quite quite well. So there's loads and loads of people that I'd known on Twitter for years before I actually met met them. And then when when you meet them, it's almost like meeting someone you know that you've known you've known forever, um, and and it is ex- it is extremely effective like that. I mean, it's it's it, it's something you have, you do you do have to work work at it, and you do have to push a few buttons every now and again. I mean, it does help it does help being con- controversial. I never I never spe- I never specifically think up something controversial for the sake of it um but i don't necessarily filter the thoughts that are controversial 
because I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm not, you know, I'm not aligned to anyone. You know, so many people and so many interesting people mm. actually cannot be as interesting as they might be on something like Twitter because they can't say it because of who they are. What's well, in their bio? And it, you know, please note that what I'm saying isn't about the, you know, there's, there's so many caveats before you've even started yeah. reading. You, you can see they're being censored. There isn't that freedom of yeah. expression. Yeah, or, you know, I'm a main board director of, of this uh, London-based REIT. You know, they're not going to, they're not really going to say anything really interesting about, about, about real estate. Um, so it does help the people who are un, unaligned. Um, but, 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 ma- but mainly I think Twitter, Twitter is perfect for curious people. Um, people who are interested in, in different things and wanted to get hold of, you know, of constantly ho- hoovering up. New, new ideas but it's, it's also it's, 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 so now I, I was going to say one of, one of the things that I always say say to my clients um, or people say to me well what do you do what do your clients pay you for and I, and I say well I read all the things that they should read but they don't have time to read that and I read it and analyze it and digest it and then I give it to them in an hour um, and they could read it, they could digest it, and they probably end up with exactly the same conclusions. But they don't have time because they got busy, busy jobs doing everything else. So the whole thing about the whole thing about if you like informed commentary is it only works if you do a shed load of work at the back end. And you basically just constantly got to hoover, hoover things up, and you've also got to have the time to sort of ruminate on on stuff. You know, go go for a walk, think about it. Well, as you say, there's so much information out there. Uh, like one thing I struggle with is that I subscribe to a few newsletters, and actually, if I miss a few days of reading them, I've, I've got ten to read up on, and then there's twenty. Oh, and actually, there's enough time in the day. So, to your point, it's about curating, and ultimately, the, actually, the value you bring is you've done the hard work in curating what to read, when to read, and have done it, and people pay you for that. Is, is Twitter where you met Draw? Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, draw, draw, draws the, cl- the classic case. I probably met draw two, certainly two, maybe three years before we ever met, and we've still only met three three times. Really? For, for yeah, for a total <laughs> of about, we've met in New York once for about three hours, but three hours over here and one and one other time. Yeah, so probably a day we've actually, we've actually met, and then. You know, it's a it's the beauty of the internet, isn't it? Draw, draws based in New York, New York. I'm here, and we can set up jointly a online global uh, learning learning system. It's just fascinating, <laughs> and I think, like, when you look at what COVID's done, and what I've found in particular, is it's, it's completely normalised. Uh, virtual interaction, this normalized spontaneous communication. It's made accessing people uh, far easier, I found. I think it, w- it would have been odd, for me at least, pre-COVID. So, hey, through a video call with a stranger. I don't know, it just didn't feel natural, but a bit invasive. Yeah, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't... You wouldn't have done it. Whereas now, it's, it's, yeah. it's wonderful. And I wonder that you've had so many... Anyone just needs to look at your website and look at the, the long list of things you've done. When you compare the... I used to get the, the work and effort and challenges in setting up those previous, let's say, slightly more analog, old school business, even though at the time they were you know, avant-garde themselves, to what you're doing now. Is it night and day? The ability to, and I know a lot of work goes into your courses, but that ability to, from sitting on your bottom in your, in your home with a colleague across the world, to set up, as you say, a global business, has, is, it, is, it, is it just completely different yeah. to how it used to be well as as, as an as an example when when i when i started vicinity which was the 
property management software company that I co-founded with Broadgate Estates, the management arm of British Land, back in 2001. To launch, we had to buy £35,000 worth of computer kit. And we had to buy two, two big racks, servers, massive great, massive great servers, get them installed and everything like that. To set up the academy, um, I think uh, we set it basically set it up for free and then ran it for 100 quid a month or something, something like that. And you don't have to do anything. You know, there's so many things that are, just, that are just done, you know, so many processes that you that you can outsource. I mean, we use a lot of uh, Zapier, which is this, if this, then that thing. So if an email comes in like this, do this. Um, and if this form comes in, put the details in that in that spreadsheet. And there's the the the, the ability to auto automate so much of business is a huge thing. And that, I mean, it's one of the things I think is a, a lot of people don't realize that the most um, the most valuable uh, software company in Europe is actually UiPath, which is a robotic. Um, robotic process automation company based in where well, they're based in Romania or somewhere somewhere like that and they're worth 45 billion or, or something like that really? it's, it's huge absolutely huge but they do this you know because so, so much of business I mean it's one of the things we talk about on the course and it's one of the things I've always talked about for so long the point is any task that someone does during the day which is structured repeatable or predictable will be automated and about half of the tasks that everyone does globally are structured, repeatable, predictable. They're things that you can you can turn into an algorithm. If this, then that, or if this, then that, and do that. Um, and they're all being automated. That's what robotic process automation is, is all about. So much of real estate is about taking data out of one mm. system, which doesn't talk to another bloody system, and someone's got to sit there and re-key re it. So much of that is being taken away. I mean, it's not just real estate. Real estate is particularly bad because it tends to have lots of systems that definitely don't talk to each other. You know, not talking to each other is part of the business model. That's it, but <laughs> That's, sometimes, sometimes by design, you know. It's absolutely by design. But, you know, so, so, much, so much of that, that is, is, is going. And what, what the internet enables you to do is to is to auto automate all the process in running a business. And the more you can automate the process, the more you should be in a position to enable everyone to have more time to think. But this is <laughs> it's one thing, someone think that your, you know, wonderful partner Draw writes a lot about. And I'm keen to hear your thoughts. I mean, obviously you're, you're a beneficiary of this because you are an informed person with a platform to communicate the pros and cons and, and provide it in, in, a, in a role that is uh, advising. Not being you, you know, do these things fill you with dread or excitement? When we talk about automation, and, and there, there are there are clear two, there are two often distinct schools of thought here. One which is that no, we're done. Universal income. We'll be sitting all day playing sports and you know sitting in the fields. The other being no, we'll, we'll innovate around it. I and mean, we've always had you know revolutions that have changed processes. You know, reduced the number of workers to do a task, and we will innovate out of it. Where do you sit on that, or is is it not as binary? Is there a middle ground you think that we get to? Because you know you, you've got children, I've got young children. When I look to the future, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine what their future looks like going down this path. I, 
I, I think societally, it's something we need to take more more seriously because the machines most definitely are going to take a lot of tasks. They're not going to take so much jobs because not most jobs cannot be totally automated away. But there's an awful lot of things that can be automated away. And people say, oh, yeah, but it was the same thing happened before when everyone, when it was 98% of people worked in farms and then at the end of the century it was 5%, but everyone had jobs. Yeah, but what they forget is there was a thing called the famously known as the Engels pause, which was like 30, 40 years where people essentially came off the farms and um, were stuffed for 30, 40 years um, living living in, in slums. It's why, why Dickens exists. You know, most people did really badly. And then eventually you find ways of uh, sorting, um, you find new things to do. But it's not an automated process that, you know, you lose that job, therefore you can go and do, you can go and do this. It's going to happen over time. That said, I am actually a firm believer that the future of most humans' jobs is actually not going to be technical. It's going to be human. Because... I'm also a great believer that the machines are going to be able to do a lot of things a lot better than us. But what, what machines can do is not the same as what humans can do. Machines are very good at structured, repeatable, predictable. They're much less good at judgment, for instance. Machines have no judgment. Machines have to be programmed for, for judgment. Machines have to be programmed for crit- critical thinking. Machines have to be programmed for um, imagination, design, all that, all that sort of stuff, and that's what that's what humans have to do. Human humans, and as we get more technical, I actually think the the need in humans is actually going to be to really increase one's human skills. So, what what are humans good at? Which is all the stuff, as I said, like judgment, abstract and critical thinking, imagination, design, uh, empathy. You know, machines have no empathy. Now, we all know loads of people who don't have a lot of empathy as well, but human beings are capable of having empathy. But isn't that to and, some degree, without, without getting too deep into what, you know, consciousness is and the soul and all the rest of it, you know, to some, some degree that's learned behaviour, isn't it? You pick, you learn empathy through interaction, through school, through 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 through, through communications and experience. And one just needs to look at the advancements around GTP3, for, you know, and look how far that's come in the past few years. And of course, exactly. there, there, there yeah. are, what we saw online when that got released was obviously the best of the best. But the fact is, you know, it wrote its own article about itself in the Guardian. So, yeah. and it spoke about this. It spoke about a sense of self and awareness that I understand that you may think that I am dangerous, etc. Now, of course, if you read into yeah. it, there were issues around it, but how can we, you know, how can we be so sure that with all the data we're collecting now, the amount of data we're collecting that we're able to synthesize and reflect on and 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 sort of train these machines on that in 10 years they won't have those capabilities you know there, there's some great well, they're doing well, great copywriting work for example for all ai well, in, in, in in 10 years they probably will have that capability i mean if you think about it if you just can't carry on with moore's law and everyone says oh well moore's law's dead but because people are using different ways to achieve the same doubling it, it's not your your phone will be 8,000 times as powerful in in 10 years' time as, as now. No, no, what is it? It's 150 times as powerful in 10 years, 8,000 times in 20 years, a million times in, in 30 years. So, yeah, they were, ab- ab- absolutely will we'll get there. But there's still – the point is the technology still needs to be guide, guide, guided by humans. 
So there's going to be still going to be lots of work about, you know, some of GPT-3 does not, didn't just happen. It didn't just come out, you know, it, it, it was designed to be. And, you know, lots of the problems with AI at the moment is because it's designed by young 30-year-old blokes in San Francisco. And so it's perfect for them. And it understands exactly what a young 30-year-old bloke in San Francisco needs, wants and desires, but knows nothing about anyone else, which is why you get all these problems with AI and, uh, you know, bad bad judgments and lots of lots of not not such good good things. Um, but but the point is even even regard even regardless of that, this is going to happen anyway. So what are humans going to do? And humans are going to need to get better and are going to place higher value on human things. And I mean, I have this sort of um, iffy feeling about all the talk at the moment, you know, the, the, about the metaverse. You know, everything's the metaverse now. So suddenly, you know, well, out, Zuckerberg, out Zuckerberg nowhere, talks about it now. And there you yeah, go. Everything's, everything's the metaverse. And, you know, if you, you know, you're okay, boomer, if you don't think, oh, the metaverse is inevitable. Um, but, but to me, I can quite see how a lot of components of what people are talking about with the, the metaverse, i.e. having access to all digital information about a physical space available when you're in that physical space, and that, that's cool. But how many people really want to be represented by an avatar as opposed to in that world, will people not be paying paying a lot more for truly human experiences. I mean, it's the same as going back to the, re the restaurants. Yes, I can get everything delivered to me every day, but I can't go and sit in, oh, I don't know, something like Brasserie ZL, which I, which I love. The experience of sitting in Brasserie ZL, well, I can get them to send me the, the food, but it's not the same thing. And the experience, the experience isn't, isn't but what if the same. It, but it's the point. What if it does get to the same thing? There are a few things you would. I don't know if you saw Google I/O a few months ago. They showed yeah. some amazing. Uh, whether whether it was a hologram or what it was, that technology where you look through a glass and it's you can see the person like how you and I are talking right now, but it would feel real. Uh, if you look at what Zuckerberg believes to be, but that's yeah. fantastic. But isn't you it? take all yeah. that together, you throw in the metaverse, you throw in some really powerful uh, VR, AR. Uh, surely we can see a scenario where people opt to live and spend more time in the space. You know, one thing I, I sort of pondered on is, is imagine, I mean, you, you've seen how great uh, HoloLens is and how actually it iterated at a time. It's being used a lot more in terms of engineering mm -hmm. and medical science. But the idea is that on one hand, I could uh, decorate a room. I could go out and I could buy stuff for it because why? Well, I, I want to see it. It looks nice and it's comfortable. Uh, I want to buy a big TV, I want to buy some nice lampshades because of the, of the aesthetic. Well, on one hand, I could purchase it all. On the other hand, I could just put my lens on and I could, in that space, I can, you know, stretch out the TV, I can drop something there. You know, can people start having better quality lives and experiences uh, in, in, in alternative universes? Now, I have no idea uh, if they would, but I can start to see very plausibly people preferring themselves and their lives when not in the physical space. And the physical space is where they, is where they dwell for the, the menial stuff like eating and sleeping, but for their interactions, for their, for their engagements, you know, you saw these huge, uh, you know, these concerts existing in Fortnite, people wandering mm. around these open spaces. And I guess maybe you're not, I mean, I feel generationally, I, I feel a bit detached from that way of thinking, you know, I'm not on my headphones uh, pl playing uh, Fortnite. I'm not living in an Xbox Live, but increasingly, 
you know, young children are having their social engagements via live. So they're playing games. But right, whereas we might have gone to the park to play football and then socialise, they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it online. So they're playing FIFA, but they're talking about their homework, their mates, their days through the yeah, headphones. I'm complete, completely with, with all that. Um, and, there, and there is a degree to which um, Mark Anderson said, this, said something like this recently. We, ha- we have to remember that most people there's a there's an awful lot of people in the around the world who are not living the life of frankly us sort of nice middle class people our lives are very nice so where we are our physical environment is very nice so i don't really need another another world to be nicer than where i already am because it's really nice but of course billions of hundreds of millions of people are not in places which are particularly nice and if you can offer them somewhere which is much nicer, then absolutely, there's a completely different, different, different imperative. imperative. Um, and certainly, all these things that make your life easier are, are really, are really good. But again, as your life gets easier, your meaning comes from the richness of other things. So it might be the richness of, you know, intellectual inquiry or, or um, interest in in the arts or or what whatever you know depth depth of knowledge and debate and i don't know god forbid pol- politics and what what have you um but the more the more time we have where all the boring stuff is taken away what are we going to do with it and i think we're actually going to do more interesting things with it you know it's one of the arguments behind ubi isn't it you know universal basic income that there's some people who say oh yeah but if you if you do that people who just sit around and you know watch telly all day and there's another side of saying no that's exactly the point they won't if they don't have to if they're not constrained by having to do something they don't want to do because they have to earn some money then they're much more likely to indulge in what's their hobby or what they're interested in or, oh, I'm really interested in this, or I'm really interested in that, or I have this this skill, that skill. Now I have the time to improve on it. The, chan- the chances are people, when they are, when they are freed from, when they are freed from having to, to do something, I think most people will do more, more interesting things. You know, they get involved with, with more interesting things. You know, what does a billionaire do all day? I bet he doesn't sit, he or she, I bet they don't sit around watching telly all day. They go to space, don't they? they because because they have, because they have so yeah they go they go to stupid space yeah, um, because they 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 have they have optionality, they have the ability to 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 do other to do mm. other things, and the whole point of you know there's no point in all this technology, unless it enables us to live better lives, and and I'm still a believer that. Um, a better life involves a life that um, is is more reflective and is the richness comes from being from having deeper interests. You know, I don't think humans are naturally superficial. If they didn't, if freed freed from the need to do anything else, I don't think humans would be. I don't think humans would be as superficial as they often are now. Because so much of what we do now is because everyone's been slaving away. You've been working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. So Saturday mm. comes and you just want to do something, something crazy. But if you didn't have, if you didn't have to do that, might you do more, more 
you know, does it, you know, humans are going to free themselves up to be better, be better humans. This changes everything. This is a yeah. whole different construct. Like, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're but, trained that you go to work to earn money to fill X, Y, and Z. Suddenly you take that away. Um, there's a lot of like uh, learned behavior to degrees in our DNA that we feel that way. To suddenly say, right, the, the, you know, the way we, we grow up through, at least in, in our early days, we go to school to learn. Why do we learn? Now, for most people, if you ask them the question, I don't think it's, it's obvious that you learn to, for, for, for self-fulfillment. It's I need to learn to get good grades, to go to university, to get a job. That seems to me yeah. the, the logical part to explain away. And what, what you're intimating is that that becomes the end in itself. You learn to learn. And that, that's a very different structure. <laughs> you know, well, you've you got to... You've got to remember, I'm a history of art graduate. Precisely. So I most defiantly did not go to university to do a degree with a with a particular career in mind. I mean, I did do I did do for a while. You are you're an art dealer, aren't you? So you still got a bit of a yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did I did do that, and and I still maintain that a history of art degree is is actually one of the great, greatest degrees to do because there's not a day that goes past that I don't get satisfaction based on what I know because mm. of. My, my knowledge of art you know I just wander around London and every time I wander around London I'll see something and I'll know something about it and it sort of enriches 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 my my day I'm a, I'm a complete non-believer in the only reason for education is to get a job you know the lifelong learning in itself is the prize and lifelong learning is uh, should be the aim particularly lifelong learning now because you have to look at every single every single thing and the world changes so much i mean if you take now at the moment you i'm not particularly into the metaverse and most of the crypto crowd drive me absolutely nuts with their stupid laser eyes and all their to the moon and you know it's inevitable and bitcoin will make the world a peaceful place just drives me absolutely mad but i spend an inordinate time amount of time reading about the bloody stuff um because I know there's something there. There is, there is some, there is something there. And if you, if, everything's sort of getting more complicated. You know, even on the, on the, well, particularly on the crypto stuff. The interesting stuff about crypto is actually all the more, is the more complicated stuff about you know rewiring the financial system and everything, as opposed to most people in crypto because it's just as. David Gerald said, you know, its number goes up. Why are you interested in it? Because the price goes up and I've got stuff. As soon as it goes down, all the interest, exactly. all the interest goes. But the interesting stuff is the complicated stuff. What, how, can we, how can we restructure things? How can we deal with... The thing I do like about the whole crypto thing is the notion that at the moment we're heading for a world where 12 companies could, could have half the world's trade, 70% of the world's trade. And it's almost like an inevitable consequence of the internet. It's network effects, you know, to 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 the rich go 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 the spoils, and that's a really bad thing. You know, people lose all agency when there's too powerful, too powerful positions, uh, companies. So the notion the notion of crypto being able to decentralize things and give more agency back to individuals that's 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 deeply interesting and and that's a that's a good a good thing um but against all against all that i really don't think we need to worry too much about what we're going to do when you know we have no jobs 
it's not going to happen in a well it is going to happen in the russians in some ways and it's happening all the time quite quite quickly um but i think there's a, lo a lot of other problems to solve before before we get there um what's 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 problem number one uh well i su I, su I suppose in many uh, I suppose you could say climate change is, is is problem number one. You know, if you want say if you want a big existential problem, but uh, you know you can't you can't mess with this baby. Um, that's that's the the biggest problem. I mean, in real estate, in in real estate, probably that should be the number one problem. You know, 40 percent of all the world's carbon emissions, thirty percent of energy, and what are we doing? We're continually building new buildings. And then we run them at net zero and say, oh, we've got a net zero building. Mm. Yeah, but how much embedded carbon did you put in that building? Oh, well, don't mention that. We're talking <laughs> operational, operationally. We're net zero. We're net zero. Or we're net zero, how? Because we bought some green energy and then we bought loads of offsets. Exactly. I say you, you know, trade it off. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's there's 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 so much greenwashing and smoke and mirrors and stuff going on there that clearly. I, th I think that is, that area is the biggest threat, but perhaps the biggest opportunity. You know, if you can actually, whoever whoever is going to come up with the products and services that enable significant decarbonization of the built environment has the biggest market the world has ever seen. Because it's every building. You know, the market is absolutely vast and it's a, necess and it's a necessity. Um, so in terms of, in terms of real estate, I think in many in many ways everything comes from sustainability. Because, for instance, if you take office buildings at the moment to take indoor indoor air, air quality, mm. if you have a highly sustainable mindset about how you are approaching the, your development or your operation of, a, say, an office building, if you have a highly sus uh, sustainable minded approach, you will have you will have good air quality. Because it would have, it will be a byproduct of thinking in a holistic, sustain, sustainable way. You will then also have a productive building. You know, everyone talks about, oh, you, you know, you can't say whether whether an, an office space enables someone to be more productive or not. You can't measure productivity. You don't well can measure productivity because there's endless there's endless peer-reviewed science about the effect of environmental conditions on cognitive function. So if Michael's sitting in a, in a room with bad environmental conditions, his cognitive function is going to be X percent less than if he was in good. So is he going to be more productive in that environment or in the good environment? Clearly, clearly Agreed. you're going to be more productive when your cognitive function is, is, is maximized. So I see all these things are just circles. You need to... You need to deal with sustainability because, my God, we need to deal with it. That, in turn, deals with health and well-being. And that, in turn, deals with, with productivity. So if you, want to, if, you want a, if you want a building and a workplace that has a future, the only reason it has a future is if you can enable people to be more productive in it than they would be if they weren't in it. And how do you do that? Well, to, to get people to get to get the hard output of productivity, you actually do need to worry about the soft the soft stuff first. 
So they're happy and healthy, which is, like, oh, you know, what's that got to do with business? I don't care whether he's happy. He's not going to be productive. She's not going to be productive if they're not happy. Healthy. Oh, well, you know, they're a bit overweight or whatever. Who cares? It, make, it has an mm. impact. So if you want a productive person, you have to make them happy and, and healthy. So it's a complete, it's a completely joined up story of what is need what is needed in real real estate in in the future. They're starting at the sustainability, which gives you the health and well-being, which deals with the productivity. But in order to get all that, you have to pay much more attention to the individual. So in order to make Michael or Anthony as productive as they to enable them to be as productive as they can be you need to understand what it is they are doing. And then what type of space do I need to put them in to do what they are doing in the most effective way? You know, the, 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 the Churchill thing of first our buildings, first we shape our buildings and then they shape us. Mm. That is so, so true now. You know what it's like. If you're in the perfect space for what you're trying to do, it has a real impact. And it might it might be the it might be the lighting it might be the colours on the walls it might be the the temperature it might be the noise it might be all these different factors, but in order to in order to make an individual as productive as possible, you need to know what the wants, needs, and desires of that individual are. So we've got this this great movement in real estate. I think from going from where we're we deal in products, big stonking steel and glass things that you can kick and we're turning that all upside down because that's not really what matters what matters is each individual and then extrapolate back from that from from who they are what they need in technology in space in materials in in every in everything and it's a completely different game but i think that's why that one of the things we do on our course is we always are, we, we say that we have a breakout. One of our breakout sessions is, do you remember the, the um, films of the likes of Steve Jobs giving the, the um, graduation speeches yep. at Stanford? And, so? and we say, you're, you're, you're giving the graduation speech at a prestigious university. How do you, what do, you, what, what do, we, what do we say? Um, how do you explain to people that they should come and work in real estate? And it's so interesting. Yesterday, we had a big group of, um, uh, from Asia, 12 different Asian uh, countries. And the number one thing they, they actually came back from that was that actually in real estate, you can make a real impact. Because real estate is where people spend 90% of their time in real estate. So who has the most connection with everyone and who is able to impact the daily lives of everybody, people in real estate? And you start thinking about real estate in those terms as opposed to, oh, well, you know, it's, a, it's an investment and, you know, the cap rates, this and whatever. But no, this is, you, you, are, you, are, you are in the, in the industry but has, is having the most impact on the most people in the world. How can you make their lives better? So, so who, the one thing about real estate is obviously in, in, in large, large swathes of it are owned by a handful of, of, of organizations. And then the rest are owned by 
one might argue, uh, unsophisticated smaller organizations and, 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 and individuals. So practically, like how do we, how do we ever hit scale? Because obviously, if you're relying on the tail end, that will never catch up before we hit maybe you know more difficult scenarios. If we, if we rely on the more prominent end, well, if, then, if they don't play ball, there's no impact either. So who who have you seen who's actually making inroads into this? Because all of this is nice, you know, in, in terms of our rhetoric and wouldn't it be nice? But there's always that odd interim period where we go make money. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we we can't you know talk to Shell and say, don't worry, we, we made no money, but. We, you know, we offset our, our CEOs, and I know it's, it's increasing. And all these organisations have brought forward their timescales to being, you know, you know, uh, carbon neutral, etc. But how is it doable? And, and who have you seen who's actually making meaningful change in a way that is actually tangible and is a good, is a good example and inspiration to the industry? I, I, I think the the biggest force for change is actually the great big stick has been wielded by the investment community. You know, when, when Larry Fink says, you know, climate, climate risk is investment risk, i.e. my money's at risk. Don't lose my money. <laughs> then yeah. once the money's worried, it does something about it. And increasingly, I am hearing from uh, people that that's all, all very well. I could do that, but I could never get it financed. If I'm, if I'm not doing this, this XYZ sustainable, I, I, I won't get it financed. And you have to hope that that pressure keeps keeps coming, which I think it will do because you've got the you've got the mix of the investment community is being sis, sat on to be more um, sustainable. Regulations are tightening up, and we'll have to keep tightening up. And then, in some ways, even more important point is your customer wants it. You know, your customer wants to be in the most in, uh, sustainable buildings. And so you've got a sort of push, push and pull, which is going, going to make, a, make a, a difference. And I think of an, an example um, that was told, told to me by um, Stephen Skinner at HB uh, Revis. And he was talking about one particular building that they were letting, and it had gone through the whole process and he had taken ages and all the usual arguments about all the usual things. And then eventually it eventually was done and they went out for a drink to celebrate. And he asked the, uh, the, the boss of the company, Lisa, well, why did you take our building? And he said, we wanted to be in the most sustainable building and yours is the most sustainable building. Actually, that was all it, that was, all it was about. They wanted to be in there. They wanted to be, wanted to be and wanted to be seen to be in the most sustainable building. And I think you are increasingly going to get get this pressure. Um, but people just won't, won't won't take the space. And then I think, you see, I think there's something. What lots of people talk about what's happened over the last eighteen months has been an acceleration, whereas I think it's actually a, a revolution, because they say, oh, it's accelerated the adoption of, you know, remote working. Well, it, it's accelerated adoption that would otherwise would have taken sixty years. Because it was like a, a few oh, percent yeah. growing, not very much, not very much. And then suddenly it's boom, it's 95%. But of course, the fundamental point is that whether we want an office or not, the majority of office occupiers have found out that they don't need it. They don't have to have it. 
And that is a fundamental turning upside down of the real estate industry. Because the real estate industry previously had customers who had to buy their product because they had to have an office. It's a completely different game when your customer doesn't need your product. They need to be made to want your, want your product. And I, I, gen, I genuinely think you'll find in the bigger companies will get more and more, frankly, anal about sustainability because they're going to have me. In that world, you don't... You might think it's all nonsense. You could you could have a Donald Trump attitude of who the hell cares and it's all a, it's all a fraud. But you're going to have to demonstrate it because it's the na- it's the nature of the the wider market. So the bigger the bigger companies are going to be pushing like hell on the sustainability, and the smaller companies. So if you like, I don't know, up to people who would have taken up to ten thousand square feet, thousand square meters, or something which is 70% of all the occupied units in the city of London, for instance, are mainly sitting there saying, well, we don't actually need it. <laughs> you, you started the conversation right at the beginning of, I will drive to somewhere if it gives me something I want. And that's going to be the score with, with an office. If, if I have to go to an office and it doesn't give me something more than I could have had not going then now people just won't go. So I think, I think the pressure, the pressure is, mu- is, mu- is much stronger. Um, so I have, a, I have a feeling, you know, the, the speed of change is obviously determined in real estate a lot to do with, uh, with lease structures and lease, lease events. You know, if you're stuck on a long lease, there's not a lot you can do. Mm. Um, well, you can try to sublet it, but you know half of Manhattan's up for sublet. So you know there's a <laughs> um, there's a crowded market. But against that, I, I can't remember the, the statistic, but isn't it something like half of half of leases will have some sort of lease event in the next four or five years or something like? That? It's a it's a big percentage. Exactly. There, there, of- there, 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 there's a lag here. Obviously, to, to your point, people are. Locked in the, just because COVID happened doesn't change people's uh, tenancy structure. So even if people want to drop no. their leases, that they they can't until there's a break or there's a renewal conversation. Like and they, as you say, they are coming in the next few years, and that's when we'll see actually the consequence of COVID. Now I guess one and you're, one one of two things will happen over the next two years: things return to normal and people then renew and regear and carry on, or they go right. Here's our chance to completely reflect and review on what we want to do. Uh, we've had time. We our our, our our colleagues have spent time working at home. This is what we want to do, and it may amount to if we do take space, it may be a quarter of the size. Uh, you know, it, I know you you take some umbrage with people who articulate that people will be, will be taking more space because they, they need more they, they need more room. Because they're going to spread out. Yeah. They're going to spread out. Yeah. <laughs> so Get that they, past the CFO. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, that that's definitely a school of thought which is sort of promoted around online, but. You're right. We haven't we haven't seen the impact on occupiers no, uh, because they're tied up in in, in 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 contracts. Yeah, but they're also, as, as you said, they're not in the office yet, so they don't know. They don't know what's going to happen, and it's so easy at the moment. So you, you you look at the markets and you look at companies, and just about every company says, "Yeah, it's fine. We're going to go hybrid." It takes about two questions before yeah. that all falls apart. Well, what is hybrid? What do you mean? 
Um, and there's so many difficulties with that, that my, my belief is actually successful hybrid is going to be very difficult and most companies aren't going to be able to do it because you cannot run a company and operate it as a hybrid company if you run it in the same manner as you did when it was an office-centric company. It just won't work. It's worked the last 18 months because effectively we've all been in the office but the office has been at home. So we've all been in the same place. Once you start getting into, into in, in and out, you need to rethink how your companies work. And if you look at the smarter companies, you look at, well, Salesforce talking about Dropbox are talking about Atlassian are, are really interesting. They are really rethinking how their business is going to work. What are their workflows? How are they going to operate? How are, the, how are they going to get jobs done? And Stephen Sanofsky, actually, the, the, um, the chap who was uh, for a long time the head of Windows at Microsoft, wrote a really good blog post recently talking about how, how companies are rethinking how they work. You know, we were talking earlier about how, how do you set up an internet company now? Well, nowadays you just you know, ask for what you want and it's done. It's a completely different methodology, completely different work, workplace. So unless companies very deliberatively think about how they are going to operate, how they are going to get stuff done, how are the tasks going to be, get done in a hybrid world, if they don't do that, they're going to come a cropper. And I'm pretty certain we're going to get three, six months into most people being you know, back. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be loads of screaming of, see, told you it didn't work. Forget this. Everyone back, everyone back to the office. And it's going to be a, a, a disaster for a lot, a lot of companies. But my, but my feeling is the smart companies are 100% taking this opportunity to rethink how they work and how can they leverage the new knowledge we have in terms of how we can work and what people want and and remote and distributed. And my feeling is they're going to become the hyper-competitive companies. If if you are competing against a company that has rethought its processes to enable them to operate in a distributed hybrid manner, they're they're going to eat your, eat your, everything. They're going to have you. you they're going to have you. For, they're going to have you for breakfast. Do you, do you see? Because they are going to be incredibly well. They're competitive, and they can offer. Yeah. You know, and they become location agnostic. I think there's there's a variety of reasons why they become more more lean and operationally effective. But do, do you think that there's been a a power shift from management to uh, the broader workforce? You know, I I, I always imagine prior to COVID. Uh, it was easy and at the time fair to say, you know, we can't trust that our employees won't take the, the mick going off and working from home. Therefore, mm. we have to maintain this. And okay, I, I get the rationale. Now that we've seen people can work effectively and arguably they work longer hours and actually some, some people it's less healthy because there's no separation between work. And there's all the reasons why we know people working harder. Do you think now people say, well, actually, I'm not coming back? I mean, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go elsewhere. Do you think there's now been a a shift in? And we saw it with even with with, with Apple when they announced. And I think Apple have built yeah the world's <laughs> Five billion, most the best like, in the like world. on the planet, Anthony. <laughs> on the planet. I mean, it's just the most 
fantastic, beautiful, well thought out, yeah. constructed and developed piece of uh, technology that is an office. And people are like, nah, I kind of want to stay home in my, my, my tracksuit bottoms and eat Ben and Jerry's in the morning. <laughs> like if they can't get people to come back on their demand and, and, and are willing to put their, their, their pen to paper, is there now the shift? We're actually the powers with the employees and they've been unionized. They can come together and hold on. We, we don't want to come back. And now to your point with business company, I'm actually going to go get a job elsewhere and online. And it feels like it's broken some of that really clear structural hierarchy that existed pre-COVID. I, I think, yes, the, 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 the Gordian knot has definitely been rent asunder. I, I would say the, the, the answer is yes and no, and Draw, Draw writes well and a lot about this. His, his argument would be that we are moving into a world where for top talent, yeah. they get anything they want, where they want, when they want, how much, doesn't matter. The difficulty is if you're average, if you haven't got something that isn't easily re replicable. Um, and that is going to be a problem. But this is going to be a problem for, for companies. To what extent, if they try and enforce um, inflexibility, they will lose people. It completely depends who they lose. You know, if you lose your top 15%, <laughs> then, you're, then you're really then you're really in, in trouble. You know, so much depends on, on industry as well, as well here. You know, a lot of this is driven by what the software companies do. And of course, software is peculiarly well-suited, surprisingly enough, for remote, even though prior to, prior to COVID, it was the software companies that spent the most money on offices. indulging their staffing in offices. But it is, it is the, the most well-suited. And in a lot of jobs, you do need to get together. You know, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm an absolute believer that 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 almost everyone needs to get together relatively regularly. So it might be it might might be once once or twice a week. It might be once twice a fortnight, a month or quarterly, or maybe it's only only six six months. But it does help to be able to get together. Um, every every now and again, which again is is why I'm actually uh, both 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 uh, short and very long offices. You know, I think really great offices that enable me to do what I want to do when I want to meet these people um, are, are going to going to do re really well. And it, and it also depends on the type of industry. You know, you have Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan saying. On your bikes, guy, back to the office. But then, you know, anyone who works for JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs, well, they've sold their soul for the job anyway. You know, that's the trade, isn't it? I'm going to work for Goldman Sachs because they're going to pay me stupid amounts of money and they're going to own me for 10 years. And then and then I'll be rich. That's that's the game. So they they can then it's a bit like you shouldn't really think about what JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs do, and you shouldn't really think of what Google's doing. Because these companies are not normal. They're not normal. My 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 feeling and my advice to, to all companies goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You have to really delve into what are the wants, needs, and desires 
of your employees? What do they need to perform their job as, as well as possible? And what do the teams need? Salesforce have a really interesting thing that what they've done is they're working on the assumption that even though they're a huge company, most people work in a team and teams tend to not be that, that big. So they, they've said to every team, they have to do something called a team agreement. And the team has to, has to say what they want. Mm. So we need to be in the office every Wednesday and we need 14 meeting rooms. We want lunch. We want this. We want that. We want breakfast. We want this AV, that AV. What do we want? That's what we want. What do we need in real estate terms to perform our jobs as well as, well as possible? And that has to be, that has to be the, the way forward. And that's going to be different for every single company. So there is no one, there is no one answer. Um, the, only, the, only, the one answer there is, is it's completely dependent upon wants, needs, and desires of your individuals, your teams, and what they need in real estate terms to be as effective, effective as possible. Give them that. Whatever it is that is, give, give them that. And then, yeah. and then you win. Uh, agreed, and, and you are seeing increasingly. At least, where we are, we are seeing greater uh, decentralization of decision making, which is great because you know if you are a yeah. dev squad, your needs are very different. Some, you know, some mm. devs love working into the night. You know, it's weird. Mm. Why would you? Why would you shoehorn somebody or a team into an infrastructure with an optimum? You know, why would you throw them into exactly. an office where there's so much noise? And um, you know, if you're working a really hard bit of development, what you don't need is like necessarily water cooler breaks. You want to get in the zone. Yeah. And once you finish that, you might want to decompress for two hours and play a video game or go for a walk. Like yeah. we need to reflect people's working habits in the offices. And there's one thing that uh, it was brought up, I think, maybe by Goldman's in, in particular, but also, you know, I have heard it and there is some value to it. And I want to know what your thoughts are is there is an argument which says one thing which is hard to replicate outside the office is that of shadowing. So particularly in certain industries, um, if I'm in a, a, a graduate surveyor, if I'm a graduate solicitor, if I'm a banker, I pick up a lot passively from my environment. Once you're established yeah. and you're running a team, yes, you know what you're doing. How do we reconcile that need to learn from those around us uh, when we are most of the time or potentially more of the time physically isolated? Are there... Do we need to change the way we train people or do we need to have, uh, again, a model which allows that, that visibility? I think we do need to, to come up with different ways. I was talking to a, a very senior lawyer about this uh, recently and law firms, the classic, classic problem in a law firm, you need the junior in there too. Actually, this is really interesting. Part of the problem law firms happen, ha, uh, have is that historically, the new people would learn by doing all this grunt work yeah. for years on end. You know, here's a room full of documents, read them all. Of course, they don't do that anymore because AI does it, does it for them. So that, that whole task has just disappeared. So they need to learn in, in different ways. Um, but but, but they, they were talking about there is a lot of need to, to shadow a bit like being a, you know, a junior, a, a junior and you've got to watch, watch your QC in, in operation. But one, one, one of these lawyers said to me, actually, what we've been doing during lockdown is I've had my junior sit in all my Zoom meetings. So they're just there, you know, mm. don't say anything, sit in the corner, shut up. 
but they, they, they sit in. But again, it, it comes back to if it makes sense for, for me to sit with my junior for a day a week, then do it. You know, you the the point is you almost definitely don't need it for five days, five days a week, or it needs to be more purposeful. It's not just, you know, the whole thing about serendipity. I'd really love to know how many people have actually ever come up with anything interesting in front of a water cooler or overheard anything. You know, it's what it's really once in once in a blue moon. I mean, I remember I've been to, I went to Mipim for about nine years, I think. And actually, only ever got one really interesting thing out of it. Happened to be a real blinder, and it made <laughs> up for it made made up for the rest. But uh, but otherwise, uh, but 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 you don't. But I think we we are fine. We'll be much more deliberate about what we want to do. And the serendipity serendipity is partly a myth, but partly can be done by having better systems. You know, people who run really good really good Slack channels or have really good internal knowledge knowledge networks one of the things about being remote is or distributed is that you need to document things a lot more because michael's over there and he's working on us time i'm working on uk time and i'm doing something uh, uh, this this morning and he's not he's not going to know know what it is so i need to document it mm. and so you'll find you'll find distributed companies do document a lot more so you put down a lot more. So you take a lot of that tacit knowledge and you turn it into, what's the opposite of tacit knowledge? Real, real knowledge, <laughs> embedded knowledge, whatever it is. You know, the, the, the knowledge that you just have that just sits in your brain. When you talk to someone and said, oh, you know, I, don't, I haven't got it written down, but I know, you know, don't worry, it's all in my mind. It's no good in your mind. Get it, get it, get it down somewhere. So I think, I think, I think we will find that we're we're doing a mix of things. We'll still do some of the physical stuff, but we will also document things a lot better. And we'll get that information information down. And so so these are all interesting changes. And then we've we've got the benefit of of your academy as like this real life feedback loop, because you're talking to people really across the world, you know, globally from all industries. Are people coming to you out of fear or they're coming to you out of ignorance, or they're coming to you out of inspiration. And I know that, 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 that there's definitely a Venn diagram where that all those three things meet. But ultimately, uh, why are people coming to you? And and and, and, and after that, what have you? What's the most common thing you're learning from people? Because I imagine it's, it's it's fascinating for you to have all these people sharing their their hopes, dreams, and fears. People are people are doing our course out of it out of inspiration, and. It is, to an extent, it's sort of self-selecting. You've actually got to be quite entrepreneurial, innovative mindset to actually want to do to do a course like ours in, in, the, in the first place. So we have been really lucky to uh, attract a wide range of from 20-year-olds 20 to 60-year-olds 20 across from small companies to monster, monster companies. But I think I think overall people are doing it because they're seeing that the real estate world is fundamentally changing, and un- unless you happen to be an incumbent of the old school who's sitting on who spent decades 
nicely receiving your checks every four four times a year and really haven't needed to do very much. The world for them is getting harder, but for everyone else, the opportunity is getting much bigger because once real estate becomes much more about delivering a service than selling a product, who defines that service, who creates that service, who curates that service is the, is the, is the person who, who get, gets the spoils. So the opportunity to create new business models, new form factors, new ethoses, new aesthetics, new everything is, is I think, really, really exciting. Or certainly from the people we've had on the course is really, really exciting. They're looking at how, how can we produce real estate that serves our, our users better? And in terms of the, you asked about what are the big things they're picking up, picking up on, is a lot to do with this individuality and creating a product for a particular particular market. That everyone, or pretty well everyone, is thinking about. Well, my market is these types. My market is these types. My market is these types. What can I create? For it's very analogous to, of course, the hotel world. Mm. You know, you can you can have great companies at either end. I can go into a premier in and it's fantastic. It, it is what it is. It does exactly what you want it to do. Or I can go into a Four Seasons, which is a completely different thing. And that's also fantastic. But it's to serve different markets and it's designed and created and curated for different markets. And we have a lot of people who are looking to create, to how can we create, and this is either with their own companies or in their bigger, you know, working for, bigger companies what do we need to create how do we how do we get to understand our customers better and how do we give our customers more of what more of what they want so it's a very much it, it's very much around this notion of the real estate industry turning into into a, into a service yeah, it's space as a service. I was about to say, if, if only somebody, whole, if only somebody could have coined a phrase based as a service. A phrase for it. The other, the other thing that's interesting globally, though, is we have not yet come across anyone who hasn't said they want more flexibility as, as, as individuals. South America, Asia, Africa, Europe, North America, Everyone wants flexibility. Everyone at an individual level. You say to people, what do you want? How would you change your office? What would you like? Well, first of all, I'd like to use it more, more flexibly. Most people, most people want their office. Most, frankly, most people just want a much better office. Agreed. That, that, that they can use when, when, they, when they need to, well, it has to, be, to use it. If at home, if, if for me, it's the question is... Uh, there's there's now there's an opportunity cost to go into the office and it, it's things that have become important mm -hmm. to me now back to our original point was i will go in if what i can do there is exponentially better or enjoyable or better than what i can do at home so p flexibility means choice but then it puts the onus on the provider of those services to justify that decision and i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if people will spend eventually possibly five days which are broken down half half there if it's worth going to you know i may want at home i've got basic coffee at home i've got a basic desk at home i've got basic uh amenities for air now 
if you can provide that, I think that we can get to a point of greater occupancy through giving people the choice. But that choice needs to be made because what you've delivered is really brilliant. Like, I mean, one thing that I know when we're doing creator sessions, I'd like a whiteboard. I do want to talk. I do want to move yeah. things along. Yeah. You know, but yeah. our current offices can't facilitate big meetings. One thing that I found fascinating is that it, it, it seems just insane and archaic and beyond fathomable that pre-COVID, we would have to sometimes push back meetings into the future until we get an office space. That would mean yeah. a room. So we'd have to wait. So it's an important meeting. That meeting couldn't happen until we could find a physical space in the building to, to allow us all to be there or for everyone to be in the building. Whereas now within five seconds, I can bring 40 people into a meeting and we're all <laughs> yeah, present. Exactly. And some people might yeah. be on their car going, yeah. you know, going somewhere, they're, they're on their phone. So it's the, the, the on-demand nature of collaboration that is very hard to replicate uh, unless, you know, to your point, these offices are built to cater towards that. You know, these ideas are banks of desks, banks of desks. It's weird. I'm going to go to, to sit at a desk. No, you need to make me deliver that I can't do at home. It, it, it's absolutely the, the critical point. And I went, went around 22 Bishopsgate mm. um, the other day, which is, you know, the largest, largest new building um, what's it called a vertical? What do they call it a vertical village? What they call vertical it? village. So it's a... Point. The whole oh, point. We 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 we, we, are, that... we 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 lost you for a minute. Go on. So we we were, we were on yeah. vertical village. Okay. Um, yes, a ver vertical village, one point three million square feet, one hundred and ten thousand square meters. It's a monster. But the but the key value proposition of that building is that it is to use a rather good new, new phrase it's full stack so there's lots of different types you know there's there's restaurants in there there's event spaces in there there's flex spaces in there there's meeting room venues in there there's entertainment space there's short-term office space there's long-term office space there's everything so exactly to your point of we don't have we don't have a room suitable for this meeting therefore we can't have it in a building like that, you don't even contemplate having that building, that space in the first place. You rent that on demand from the building. Mm. The, build, the building as amenity. Now, obviously, you need a big building. You need lots of scale. But, but, but the conception of you should only take the space that you can operate at, say, 70% occupancy. Because, you know, we're all sitting there and building in spaces that are 50% occupied. You know, we're... we're spending half our money for nothing. You want to be running a space at higher occupancy. So you just take what you know. There's always going to be 50 people in here. Out of 300 of us, there's always going to be 50. If we need more, we rent that, rent that on, on demand. And But to, to actually manage, to actually create that amenity is a big deal. You, you, you clearly need a pretty big building. Or you're going to need a network of very of mm. spaces close, close, closely together. But my argument would be, and I've, I've said it for a while, that the the historic game was to rent someone as much space as possible for as long as, as possible. possible. I think the new game is to rent people uh, uh, the least amount of space for the shortest amount of time, and sell them everything else. 
Well, but, it, it, it comes but, inside but the point is, you'll be selling them at more. You'll be you'll be generating more money because again, if I instead of taking a thousand square meters, I take five hundred, but I pay seven hundred and fifties worth. So I pay fifty percent more. I'm still saving money, but I will pay more for the perfect amenities. It, it, it's backing yourself and your products, and rather than hoodwinking people in taking long contracts and then yeah. treat it as recurring revenue, you say, "Hold on, we back ourselves to the point where we understand our customers enough where we can take away that certainty of of revenue and be confident that in the long term we'll make more because of the flexibility." And that's a whole different mindset. Because, as you say, you know, there's a reason why pension funds bought office buildings. Because it was secure, you know, reliable <laughs> that, income. That 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 was that's exactly. where you go to for security. But I think it puts pressure on the provider of these physical spaces to really think. It was very easy to deliver to, to deliver. Here's a building, uh, it's shell. Do what you want with it. How how? Yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to undermine the challenge, but like it's pretty straightforward. Go do what you want. Now they've got you got to think. Who's going to take it? Why are they going to take it? How they're going to take it? What's expected yeah. of us? That's that's a whole different dynamic. That and it's a, and yeah, it's a different mindset for organisations to get their head around. Uh, in I guess what is a relatively short time. I know we talk about revolution versus evolution, but it, within a, a relatively short period of time, it's it's a completely it's, it's how we buy things changes. Uh, you know who we work with changes. So again, I'm sure you'll be. It's the best prepared people uh, for this will be the winners. Uh, so overall, where are you on on twenty to Bishopsgate? Are you are you big big thumbs up? I, I I love the building. I I I was I was saying to someone who's from them. The paradox is, in, in some ways, you could say the last thing you want is a bloody great skyscraper. When everyone's everyone going on, I'm not sure we're going to go up in the skyscraper. But actually, this this building's going to do great because it's if you're not here all the time, or if you need that flexibility, where am I going to go? I'm going to go there. I'm probably going to go and hang out there because it, it's. It, it, but being in the particular building actually becomes very, very meaningful. The building actually ends up as a, as a, a status symbol apart from anything else. Well, I like um, the idea that you go there in the morning for, for your workout. You then go, you pop in some flex space and personal time. You meet the team for co-working spaces. You then have a, you have a work meeting with some outside and one of the bars. And then you have a team meeting lunch. Like Again, it becomes more than an office, it becomes a reflection of your flexibility. But in a weird way, it's still in a single location. Uh, but again, <laughs> the cost of that building, you know, the the investment in it from a technical perspective, you know, the, for that to scale down, you know, that, that it, 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 it's unique in its position there. Uh, but again, I could see myself doing that, spending the, spending the day there and the whole thing being experiential. Uh, and, it, you know, I can either be at home in, 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 my, in my joggers and hunch over a laptop, or I can spend the day in a world-class building. I get that. But, I, you know, that's unique. At this point in time, it's a unique uh, proposition. There's a, there's a lot of space that isn't that. <laughs> a lot <laughs> that, of space. That, that, that's where I think all this becomes very interesting. And it's a game why I'm, I'm both long and short. I'm very, I'm very long on a building that can do everything the modern world needs. But what the hell do you do with, like, a... Thirty thousand square foot, small floor plates. Like, you know, you know, uh, places like a mile bone that you walk up onto above a shop and it's just a room. You know, that room is like your home, like your home kitchen. Like, why would you justify that? And that's a really fascinating thing to understand: is what are those landlords thinking? What are they doing? What can they do? Yeah, I mean, I can I can see taking old, older buildings a character. You know, I'm, I'm I'm not one that says, you know, a, a Georgian building is useless. I don't know. You know, I had the best office I ever had was in, in Berkeley Square. 
really old building, but it was just fabulous, completely inefficient and everything, but it was great. Um, and and people will take take those type, types of spaces. So the things with a little bit of character, or that is a bit like having, as you say, it's a space ab above a shop, but it's very convenient. It's in town. It's not not costing me too too much, and I can have a small small space there. Okay, but but the the mid the mid sized ordinary ugly buildings that you could get a, I'd, I'd rather have a really interesting slightly scrappy building mm. than a you know a, a BCO spec or ordinary building without much scale because you've got to really work hard to make it work. make it worthwhile <laughs> you've got to really work hard to make it make, make it work um yeah no I, th I think the game the, the the game is getting really hard. And, and and there's no there's no way around that. I mean, I can sort of go on and all this sort of idealistic stuff, but frankly, that is what the customer wants, and they're going to want that. How the hell are you going to provide it? And it's not it's not not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And um, that 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 soundbite, it's not going to be easy. It's probably a, a great way to to draw yeah. to an end. I, we could talk for hours, and I, I don't think anyone will, will listen past. The first five minutes, given uh, you know people's time things, and I think maybe next time we talk, talk, talk again about more things. But uh, thank you for your time. Like honestly, I feel like if we didn't have a time here, we'd be going to tomorrow, and uh, you'd have to uh, bring out and bring out a new linen shirt. Thank you for listening to Pixel Chasing, and well done for making it right to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to share with others who you think may also enjoy it. And to be kept up to date with all they're up to here, you can always follow us on the usual channels. On Twitter, we are at PixelChasing. On Instagram, we are at PixelChasing. And if you want to join our newsletter to be kept up to date with all future episodes, you can join that on our website, which is pixelchasing.com. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>